0: Welcome back to Inspiring Neighbors podcast, where we showcase seemingly ordinary people with extraordinary stories. In today's episode, we were lucky enough to have Malou Satiro visit us in the studio. I've known Malou for many years and heard many of her wonderful stories of her life, but this was a treat from, you know, her early start in Brazil, how she fell in love and immigrated to Canada. She took so many chances and built a company from the ground up with her husband and and just all the trials and tribulations that came with that all the victories all the uh friendships and, and and great community that was built around her um and then of course it's interesting that life is complicated and so we also got to hear from her all the all the sides that you know, where she experienced great loss, great tragedy, um, you could say even betrayal, and how she's dealt with all of that side of things as well and and maintained her identity, maintained her sense of self and her motivation to keep going. And so I found it a really, truly inspiring story that was is uh, very real. And, and I love Malou, so I was happy to introduce her to you,
1: Trevor. I was happy to meet her and I love her too now. Um, (laughs) This episode, like you said, it was really, it was really cool and different in that, like you said, we saw a journey of one person's life from a very young age to where they are now and all the mess that kind of goes along with life, Mm -hmm. we got to witness. Mm -hmm. And she's such a good storyteller. She was so brave and open and going into the every detail of her life. The pain, the joy, the love. I loved listening to it. Uh, it was definitely a longer episode than mm-hmm. than all the others. Uh, so long that, in fact, we're going to split this one into two parts. We don't want to cut anything from the story, basically. Mm-hmm. I loved every piece of the, the story. So we'll have part one this week, and we'll continue with part two the following week, and we'll have two episodes. Yeah, We'll keep you on the edges of your car seats. We, once again, would like to say thank you to all our listeners, first of all, for listening, and second of all, for giving us any feedback that you've sent us. Um, Angela and I both love to get messages on the recent episodes that you're listening to and what you loved about them. So please continue to do that. And if you love the content and you feel the urge to share, please do that.
0: Totally, yes. Thank you for your support. Now, please enjoy Malou Satira.
1: Let's talk to our neighbors, cause, cause everyone, everyone can inspire.
2: The Inspiring Neighbors podcast, light your Fire.
1: Thank you for coming to be here. Every episode until now, I've known the person. Hmm. You are the first person I have never met before. Oh,
3: I'm a mystery
1: to you. <laughs> yeah, so I'm excited. I'm excited to discover
2: today.
0: Oh wow! So Malu. I met uh, at work. I was going for an internship at this company that I, I couldn't believe, uh, I, you know, hired me for this internship because it was everything I wanted it to be. I wanted to mix software engineering and, and chemical engineering. The founder of the company was a professor at, that I'd had. And so uh, that's how I knew about the company. And I thought, well, maybe they, they might need some help. <laughs> maybe I can do something and, uh, and applied. And, and uh, so I... From knowing Marco, who was this um, wonderful person, uh, who was the professor and founder of the company, I knew that like he had the most special personality warm and, and just I can't find the words. We'll, we'll get into into Marco as we go. but uh, I knew it would be a special place to work. but every person I met after that just matched the expectations of like this is not a common workplace and i've been thinking about this recently because a comment trevor made in a recent episode you said something like i don't like feeling misaligned with having to pretend you're someone you're not mm-hmm. specifically around your boss or your work environment yeah. and and i've been thinking about that because i have been so lucky that i have never felt that way oh, and wow. and i think when i went i was there maybe my second week at work and uh my boss like my manager at the time he was gone for some reason so and I was running late that day never never something I do this was very out of the ordinary but I was running late and I probably arrived maybe like I 10-15 minutes late in the morning to like 9am and I went to Malou's office because she. I didn't know who else to tell <laughs> or apologize to it was very like independent work everybody there's a few of us and everybody's in their own office so I was like I have to tell somebody I have to confess I went to Malou's <laughs> office I said I'm so sorry I'm late I got behind don't worry like I'm gonna make up this time later and she just like could not stop laughing and she and she said oh my god like you young lady come here let me take you to Marco yeah. so Marco's also her husband and she she's like can you believe this girl was late and Marco was like oh no come here like we yeah. need to find a Punishment for you. You like out. they just they just made so much fun of me and it, it was great and i think i was like very early on a big sign that like you can relax here this is <laughs> this is a this is a you know friendly place like this is not you don't have to pretend to be some corporate you know version of yourself here oh, that's and amazing. and it just kind of like that that just set the tune for everything that would come after Malou is one of the best people I've ever met. One of the by far strongest people. And you Thank have you. this ability to just draw people. That's the thing that Richard said. I said, what would you like to ask Malou? And he said, you know, she has this ability to just draw people. And she's like magnet, uh, magnet to them and make them feel amazing. And so, you know, he he, he he was curious about that. But I think it's yeah, you definitely stand out that way and you make people comfortable. And so you had a huge impact in the culture. And I'm sure since and everywhere you go, we'll maybe touch on like how much pain you've had to experience in your life and how much hardship that is way beyond what most people have to go through. And so how you have been able to live with, with that and through that uh, is, is something that just makes you even more amazing And how the energy that you bring. Uh, to the world. So thank you, Malou, so much for being
3: here. (laughs) No, I'm truly uh, grateful. And I find the fact that you both invite me to do this. It's a first in my life Mm -hmm. to be interviewed for a podcast and to talk about my life. If you know me, you know that I'm very shy (laughs) and I don't talk (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I can't even say that
2: <laughs>
3: and yeah so I'm true to be here if through my words anybody can find something that they related to or something that if it's a word, a phrase or a moment in my life that will get them to think and I don't want to say think for the better or for the worse because I no longer believe on better or worth but just think about it. That's going to be a good thing. Or if they just listen and say, "Hey, that's just an idiot person talking." It's okay with me as well. So you give me the opportunity to just be myself, and thank you. We it's... love
0: you. I don't think anyone has to give you the opportunity to be yourself.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's true. I'm you're... old enough to know better. There is no reason not to be myself. I, you know, I got where I am being who I am. So why change now?
1: I was just gonna say when you were young you did that as well like
3: um no when you're young when I was young I shouldn't talk for anybody else there was always that idea of uh, if I do this they will like me better or if I act this way I can get farther or to a certain point and it didn't take me long to realize that uh, I'm me and I'm doing my best and if that's not good enough, well, too bad. My father was the person I think that influenced me on that sense because he was a very simple man. He had very little education, but he spoke his mind mm-hmm. and he was, this is it. If you like it, good. If you don't like it, that's how he grew up and mm-hmm. very honest, very truth to the through the truth in front of him. The same as my mom with that. So, that inst- inst- instilled in me very early on that, first, got to be honest, you got to be sincere.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And as Marco used to say, you got to believe on your own bullshit. Mm-hmm. So, if you know your shit, believe it or not. And yeah. So, I always felt that what I learned from my parents, I knew well. So, I carry my life with those values, you know. And so, that was early on. And of course, through my young years, when I got married and had kids, etc., you, I still had that idealism of having the picket fence house and mm-hmm. everything that you want to have in life on a materialistic side that you think will make your life better, will make you happier. If I have this, I'll be happier because if I achieve this, I'll be happier. I will be happier when I'm successful in my marriage. I'll mm-hmm. be happier when I'm successful financially. And... 2020, you know, hindsight is 2020. As you grow younger like me, you realize that you'll be successful because you're happy.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And you'll be, uh, you will be feel accomplished because you believed on yourself and you did your best, even if you didn't hit that car or that house or that. But you're accomplished because you proved to yourself that you did your best and you came on the other side without having to damaging anything or anybody around you. I find this phrase high sight is 2020 if I knew then what I know now. And to be honest, I used to think that well if I knew then what I know now I would be a much better person. Mm-hmm. Now I look back and I think with what I know now I became a worse person because many situations family-related, work-related, life-related, made me um, upset, made me guard myself, made me retrieve from being myself sometimes, thinking a little more about what am I going to say. Or starting starting to, because I don't believe that anymore, (laughs) there was a little moment there, if I had that degree, I would be more respected because knowledge comes from, believe me, I'm all for knowledge and education, don't take me wrong. Mm But there is that line where you can't disrespect a person, what a person is capable of, just because there isn't that frame on the wall saying. So now I believe that I became a worse person because I guard myself too much. And I I was guarding myself too much. Now I'm coming out of my show again. Watch out, world.
2: Good for you.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it is. um, Those are phases in life and transitions in life. There were things that I wish I had done differently, but not better,
2: mm-hmm.
3: differently. Mm-hmm. And also because in those moments, I wasn't being myself. I was trying to um. be the perfect mom. I was trying to be the perfect wife. I was trying to be somebody that was afraid of not getting to that picket fence. Yeah. you know. So that's what I would do different. I would just be myself, speak my mind, and carry on through life.
0: I, I want to... Uh, so I've always been curious, because you grew up in a big family. How many sisters
3: do you... You know, <laughs> Angela, I was in Brazil in May, and we realized that my mom actually gave birth to 17 kids, not 15 kids.
1: 17.
3: And I am the youngest now, That because we are going out through the papers, uh, of 17 not all of them are alive, but I'm the best because after they achieve perfection. There's a lot of practice. Yeah. Stop. Stop. <laughs> yeah. So I did Grew up in a big house. And even though all the siblings weren't there growing up, but still was a big house. And then nephews and nieces.
0: I obviously, like, the
3: one sister—it's
0: <laughs> a big difference. So, what was that like? And is there, because I can imagine both ways. Like, there may be a tendency to like be lost because there's so much around. Uh, but maybe especially because you're the little to get a lot more like attention and spoiled and guidance. So, is any of those kind of reflect your experience or how? Would oh, you?
3: absolutely. Uh, my relationship with my mom was quite interesting <laughs> for a long time because she was. Ignorant person in the sense that she could barely read or write. She Mm -hmm. didn't have much education. She was a mom all her life. And she didn't know much about the outside world and her values. When she was growing up, being a dancer meant you were a prostitute. Mm. So when I decided that I want to be a dancer, that didn't quite sit well with her because she didn't understand that. So what I what I experienced with my mom was the difference in generation. I mean, she had me, she was forty-four years old. Mm-hmm. Have had already all those kids mm-hmm. being in the house all the time. Mm-hmm. So growing up I related much more to my sisters, one in mm-hmm. particular that's still alive, my lean's mom that I and I love them all, but and of course the personalities. There's so many mm-hmm. different personalities under one household, yeah. right? Yeah. And when you're going through it and you're becoming who you're going to be and defining your own personality, you don't understand what's around you. And I had a father who was an amazing person in the sense that he was always working and making sure that everybody had a roof, a food, and clothes in their back. And they did an amazing job. I really, I look back and I don't understand how my parents did that. So it was an interesting growing up situation. And again, there were those phases where I always wish I had only one sibling or I always wish I was the daughter of somebody else or I had, because you had all this fantasy in your mind of how you want your world to be. And also because what I wanted to be, I had, I was so sure that I was going to go to Belgium and dance for Maurice Bejar. That was my claim to fame. I'm going to leave Brazil and I'm going to be a dancer for this man that I only saw at the time in newspaper clippings or pictures there was no internet there was no s- such a thing sometimes on tv you would see a a piece of a ballet or something yeah. but that's what i wanted to do and again living in brazil it's a beautiful country but it's a harder life than you have in north america mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and then coming from a family where there's so many m- mouths to feed mm-hmm. It was something that, it was unfair of me to expect my parents to produce my dreams Mm too. But I couldn't understand that. Mm -hmm. I just wanted them. So, in a very early age, I went for it and I tried my best. Mm -hmm. And I won't lie, there were times in my life where I resent my mom especially. couldn't understand because she wanted me to just do what for her Mm -hmm. was the picket fence. Find a nice man, Mm -hmm. learn how to raise kids, Mm -hmm. being a good mother. And that's all great things that I learned from her and I treasure to this day, especially when I had my kids. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, thank you for Mm -hmm. teaching me this. But at that time, it wasn't what I wanted to Mm -hmm. have. So it took me a long time, even after she passed away, to make peace with her. Mm -hmm. So that, I think to answer your question growing up on a large family and being the youngest it was the moments that i didn't have that interaction with a sibling that i could have had a bit more developed more connections or with my parents mm-hmm. you know for me it there was a disconnection there for a long time uh my father when he came to calgary in 1999 after my mom passed away it was one of the best times that I had with my dad,
2: mm-hmm.
3: you know. And for me, it was kind of bittersweet because I knew that those times weren't going to happen much more. And they didn't because of the physical distance and everything. And with my mom, I can tell you, and it's harder and harder to think about because the memory starts to fade, but I can tell you the moment that I had, and they were very short moments where I connect with my mom in a daughter and mother mm-hmm. relation. Mm-hmm. So that I wish I have had more.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: But the bottom line for me, growing up on a large family, and now coming to where I'm still the youngest yeah. to my sisters, <laughs> <family's>. <laughs> and we all have kids, and they have kids of their own. and. I love to see the result of what those two people, my mom and dad, produced. Yeah. yeah. These strong people and the fact that now that we are older, we are reconnecting. We are still believing on the same values and we're still being able to laugh until we literally cry mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. pee our pants. And it's such a party when we are together. So that is the best part ever for me, Angela.
1: Oh, wow. That's amazing. I I thought my Christmases were big with three people.
0: (laughs)
3: Think about doing dishes for them. Oh, my God. Without a dishwasher, I don't miss those at all. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Need an assembly line.
2: (laughs) No kidding. Yeah,
3: So so it was a beautiful time, I guess that just now I learned to
2: appreciate.
0: It's it's crazy to think, uh, you know, from this type of beginnings that you had this idea, I'm going to go to Belgium, because that's that was part of the questions I had, is I, I knew you were interested in dance from an early age and how that came about. And obviously you're saying there wasn't much support from the side of your mom. Did you get support elsewhere? Were other people telling you you
3: could do it? Or? It was just like um, <laughs> the, five, the old five... The last five kids, we were five girls. Mm -hmm. I remember from a very young age, I wanted to dance. Elena, who comes before me, was always great on drawing and painting and do things Mm -hmm. with papers. And uh, Carmen, Carmelinda, who comes before her, is a writer still to this day and wrote Mm -hmm. poet. And Gilmar had this uh, ability to make people beautiful and have this, I don't know... uh, very dream-like, loved to listen to music, and she wanted to learn English and all that stuff. And Yvonne, who is, it was more down to earth, but also she wanted to go out and work. She had a, a technical degree in lab, and it, but again, my mom was like, you don't need to work outside the house. Mm-hmm. You need to learn how to be a housewife. Mm-hmm. So it was those things that, it wasn't that we weren't told we couldn't achieve our dreams.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: It was just because we had an education. We all went and finished high school and everything. But got to that point where you knew that they couldn't. In my case, I started doing uh, ballet classes. I was 11 to 12 through a scholarship to Lions Club, Rotary Club. Mm-hmm. and. And I remember my sister, Yvonne, walking me for classes. and But it was once or twice a week. And it was a very elite in the mm-hmm. city that we lived. And the girls there all had everything and anything. And they mm-hmm. could take part on the recitals. And And I started taking the class. And I loved it. But I want more. I want to do the recitals. Yeah. I want to learn jazz. I want to do this and that. So after a while, I met... I think it was through a school girl who was taking classes in this other studio that was in the same city, and she invited me to go and take some classes. And the owner there, the mother was the owner, and the daughter was the dance teacher. And I met with her, and she said, well, if you can come and do little things around, you know, sweep the studio, or you can start. So I started taking classes with them. And for a while, my mom was okay with it until I started taking jazz classes and other classes. And the jazz teacher, I being at the right place at the right time, I guess, uh, Berenice Danilon, who was an amazing teacher. I owe so much what I know to her. She had arthritis, hip arthritis. And so when I started taking class with her, she was starting with this issue and then she started asking me to take more class so I could show movements and she could just. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I started doing one class, two class, three class to the point where evening class, because I used to go to school in the morning until about, I think it was 1230, from 7 to 1230. And then go to dance class in the afternoon. And the late classes were the jazz class. So there were days, I think, from Monday to Thursday for quite some time, for a few years I would do jazz class from 5 to 9 in the night, or 5 to 10 in the night, one back, and her father would drive me home. Mm. So, and of course, those were my teenage years, and I started to meet people, and you know, your hormones are starting to talk to you, and all that stuff. And my mom didn't like it. My mom just thought that I was with the wrong crowd, and she wanted me to just be around, and that creates lots of conflict. But it was all about scholarships. And Mm -hmm. I remember, uh, depending on the owner of the studio a couple of times, paid for my uh, costumes and stuff. Because one that I knew that if I was to ask my dad, he would find a way to do it. But you didn't want to ask, because (laughs) you knew. Mm -hmm. what the situation was. There was one time where my mom cut out one of my costumes because I came home all happy and saying, oh, this is what I'm going to... And she did. And I was like, how am I going to go back and say, Mm -hmm. I need another one because... So that was the toughest time with my mom and myself in those years. And I start going... In nineteen <laughs> oh gosh, do I say the dates? Nineteen eighty four. Nineteen eighty four. I did the first summer course in São Paulo, and my dad, sweetheart, he knew that city like his hand because he used to do uh, side works, and anyways, he knew São Paulo very well. So we went to São Paulo in the bus in the morning, and I was going to stay the week with my cousins in my cousin's house. That was like three or four neighborhoods away from where the studio is. So my dad dropped me in this connection, Avenida Paulista and Rua Augusta, and we got out of the bus there, and he had already given me the money for the bus and told me, you know, divide your money, put some in your pocket, put some inside your shoes, because mm-hmm. if the picket pockets come, you have something to give, but you have enough money to go to where you need to arrive and yeah. all that stuff, and go down the street and... That's where the studio is. I was, what, 14? Oh, my gosh. 14, yeah, 14. In São Paulo City, like, okay, I can do this. Mm -hmm. And then going back to my cousin's house, it was, the course would end, I think, around 6 in the evening, whatever. I had to take two buses and cross from Lapa de Cima to Lapa de and Not very nice places for a young girl to But I navigated and so that lighted the fire on me like I want to go to the big city I got great reviews in this course I I wanted to do this to the point that a couple of years later I left home and I went to live in Sao Paulo Uh to a friend and my mom was not happy at all and it was hard Angela but you know when you're young you can change the world, I'm (laughs) going to do this, and my next step is going to be Belgian, and you know.
0: And so you felt like an urgency, right? Like it's like, I I, I can't wait till I'm done school kind of thing, like I have to. Uh, I had
3: to do it, and I did finish high school. My dad was very, my father was much more supportive of me, and even after I went to Sao Paulo to live with Maria (laughs) Lisi, He would come and take me sometimes for breakfast, a few times for lunch, and we would meet. A couple of times he went and saw me dancing, but my mum wouldn't, you know. And I would go home from São Paulo on the weekends. I would go and do laundry because it was cheap doing laundry and eat, of course. Mm-hmm. There's always food in mom and dad's home. Yeah. And at the same time, I was working during the day, mm-hmm. you know, I work at, as a receptionist. And then I became in charge of uh, the copy room. You know, those were the times where making a copy. You mm-hmm. had to get a approval from your boss. And anyways, so I did that working during the day and dancing in the night. And also there's there was an urgency because ballet dancers today or dancers overall, I shouldn't just say uh, ballet, they have a much longer professional life than at that time. Mm-hmm. When I was growing up, a ballet dancer had to have a certain body type and had to know that her or his career wouldn't last much your prime years, your Mm -hmm. 20s, or if you're really good, your early 30s, and then you're done, right? I had lots going against me. The body type was never right. I have big hips and I'm short. financially, you know, it is a very expensive thing to pursue. Again, my dad was amazing. He gave me all he could. And it takes, takes a lot of support. The ones that made at that time, they had the support financially, emotionally, everything that they need. So I was trying to break through something that, and that was the thing that, I think I start realizing, even on those years that the window was very short, and I gave my all—I really did—and then, of course, there's the other side of life: that being young, that thing happened that you fall in love. Stupid as, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> you forget that the brain is not the only organ in your body. Yeah. There is the single heart, yeah. and so. <clears throat> I was living in São Paulo, and another friend of mine. Can I go on? Yes, tell please. me if I No, to... I was just about
0: to ask. So you're going right
3: too. <laughs> and again, a friend from high school who was also now living in São Paulo, and came to my apartment. Remember, no cell phones. Not everybody had landlines either.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And said in one weekend, she said, you know, I'm going out with this guy. He's an engineer. I want to break up with him. He's boring. And so next week we're <laughs> no going engineer. to out for dinner. And I had m- seen him through another friend from this group from high school on her wedding. He was in the wedding party and I see this guy and whatever. But, you know, and he had given in this wedding when I was in Pirescaba, that's the city that our families Thank lived. You. He gave me a ride with this friend that he was dating back to Sao Paulo. And he drove a Fiat, those old little boxcar Fiat yeah. that was Marco. Mm-hmm. So she's, he's sitting in the front with Lucia and I'm in the back. And I remember him adjusting his rearview mirror. Mm-hmm. And we kind of crossed eyes a couple of times. But I knew he was dating Lucia. Yeah. So, you know, it's the girl's cold. You don't yeah. <laughs> don't go there. But anyways. So about... Eight months or so ahead, she comes to me and says, well, I'm dating this guy. And so next week, he's going. we're going for dinner. Do you want to come on a Friday? And I said to her, I can't afford to go out for dinner. And she mm. said, oh, he's paying. He... Mm. <laughs> so, okay, free food <laughs> <laughs> on a yes. Friday. Yeah. So true enough, he came to pick me up. They came to pick me up. And the place I was living with Maria Lisi was this uh, penthouse apartment in the red light district in Sao Paulo, that when her mom had the apartment first, it was the great place to live, but 40 years later, anyways, but it was great because it was a a studio apartment with a nice balcony, very tiny, and was just myself and her, no furniture. And the way this girl paid her way through school was by breeding Husk Siberian dogs and selling the puppies to -hmm. whoever would buy, especially in the south of Brazil. Mm And she was going to veterinary school <laughs> needless uh, to say that today she has a very successful clinic uh, married a veterinarian as well but i'm not much of an animal person and again this is a penthouse São Paulo. in the summer with dogs
2: <laughs>
3: the smell was intense
2: yeah
3: you know the dogs would stay in all day long and we would come to make the story short <laughs> marco came up to pick us up i opened the door and he kind of He told me later, he sniffed the place and he said, I'll wait in the car. (laughs) (laughs) So we went out for dinner, the three of us, Lucia, Marco, and myself, and the restaurant is still there, Piero's, and it was a beautiful dinner, and him and I clicked. We talked all night long, and my friend was beating the butter (laughs) all night. They bring those little dishes of butter. And during dinner, I mentioned to him that I was looking for another place to live because... It was lots of incidents in that apartment, Mm -hmm. for another story, another time. And he said, oh, if you want to be a roommate, I live in this place, and Mm -hmm. you can share the place with me. And my eyes just went, wow, the place he lived was, location-wise, was like Mm -hmm. the cat's meow. And that night, we stopped at his apartment, and I saw it, and I said, oh, no no pets, no cats, no dogs, (laughs) no no smell, (laughs) awesome. And I said, sure. When can I move in? And this was like beginning of February of that year, 1986. And he said, well, anytime, next month or whatever. And I said, oh, next month will be great because I'll pay the rent for my lease and mm-hmm. you know, all that. And he was going to be in my parents' city close to, so I'll pick up the key from you, whatever. So a month went by and... I went to Piracicaba to meet this fella and get the key. and mm-hmm. So I walked from my mom's place. I didn't have a car all the way to the hotel where he was going to be. So I get to this hotel. I'm sitting in the lobby, all dolled up, right, waiting for this guy. He walks by, look at me, and I go, oh, not even a hi. <laughs> hey, excuse know. me. Okay, yeah. <laughs> he goes up. I go to the front desk and said, excuse me, can you call the room? And they called and I said, hey, Marco. Oh, you're here. I said, yeah, you just passed by me. Did I? Yeah. So (laughs) he comes downstairs and said, want to go grab something to eat? I said, sure. So anyways, we go out for dinner, gives me the key. I think it was a week after I get my two duffel bags with all my belongings, Mm -hmm. take the bus and go move in my new apartment, Mm -hmm. all happy as could be. And I open the door, two Argentinians guy. They open the door and one kisses my hand, and <laughs> thinking and said, "Oh, you must be Malu." Marco told us Zaw about you. You're Uh-oh. moving in, and I go.
2: Oh, I'm supposed
3: to move in just with Marco. Yeah. <laughs> so I come in and I realize Oscar's leaving to Argentina. Roberto was supposed to stay just a couple of days in the apartment, end up staying 48 days or so. Oh, wow. So that's how I became a roommate with Marco. And I was a roommate with Marco. Nobody believes me. But for at least two weeks, and then after that, (laughs) things happened Mm. that we became more than roommates. And that's where I say the heart just, you know,
1: took over.
3: Took over. And then we had this other Argentinian guy there and made more sense, you know, to change the (laughs) living arrangements. But we became a couple. And then came the morning when my father was coming to take me for coffee and me not thinking. So, And the reason those two Argentinians were there and Mark was not anywhere in sight because he was going to Bahia, to Salvador, to visit a plant, whatever. And, of course, forgot to tell me. And why would he tell me? I'm just his roommate. <laughs> so after a few days, he comes back and says, oh, I'm sorry. but," And I said, okay, I got it. You're not here. And, yeah. So move forward a couple of months, now we are sharing a bed, we are more than roommates, mm-hmm. whatever, and this Argentinian guy is still <laughs> there with us, and I forgot that my dad was coming to visit, and once again Marco is traveling, and this fella is having a shower, and sure. doorbell rang, I open the door, my dad comes in, and looks in the living room, and see this bed, this cot, whatever. And as we were talking, this other guy comes oh, no. out of the bathroom with, with the, the towel. towel. <laughs> and I push him back into the bathroom. I said, My father's here. Isn't he? And my dad, being my dad, kind of, so we are leaving. And my dad said, Who is that? Is that Mr. Markle? He always called Marco. Mm-hmm. And I said, No, Marcus traveling. Who is that? I said, Oh, it's a friend of ours. So he's staying there. I said, Yeah. And where are you sleeping? And I said, Well, let me tell you that <laughs> funny, you now ask. that you ask. yeah.
2: <laughs>
3: and the only thing he said was you gotta come home and bring him to meet your mom and mm. I said oh shit No, mm. sorry <laughs> so that's what I did when Marco came home a couple of weeks after we went to visit my parents and my mom who at the time again our relationship was very strange or very uh, tense mm-hmm. she wasn't cooking much anymore. She was in uh, lots of health issues. But when Marco came, she cooked a full meal for him. And I was like, really? (laughs) And she loved him. She thought he was... So that was the first time she met my late husband. And then right after that, things happened that uh, Marco got to meet the person who was the owner of the company in Calgary. And he came back from a trip he met him in Salvador, Bahia. He came back and he said, "Well, this guy offered me to go to Calgary for six months and work for them." Mm-hmm. And in that dinner, when we first met, one of the first things he said to me was, "I'm leaving Brazil.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I'm going to go to England because I want to be a subject to the queen." Right. <laughs> and I said." Awesome. Good for you. Yeah. He had education. He knew English. He had all the bells. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Good. I'm going to Belgium, and I'm going to dance for Maurice shower. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> See you on the weekend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, so I knew that was his plan. And when he got this offer, we were a couple, but you know, we were just boyfriend girlfriend. Mm-hmm.
0: How long had you been together?
3: about a year a year and a little bit yeah because we start living together in 86 about march of 86 and when the opportunity came i said go you gotta go Mm -hmm. you can't say no so the way that we could make it happen was give up the apartment we moved in with another friend in another apartment because i was going to be left behind So we sold everything that we could sell that was... And the most expensive thing he owned wasn't us owned, Marco owned, was a VCR. Oh, wow. (laughs) At the time, VCRs were like, oh my gosh.
1: Even more than the Fiat.
3: Oh, (laughs) the Fiat. I'll tell you the story after. Even more than the Fiat. So we sold the VCR, we sold everything. I stayed behind with Eduardo, living in Eduardo's apartment. And Marco left to Canada and we had no idea what was gonna happen. And he also sold, at the time he had a consulting company in Sao Paulo, and he also sold the Mm. company for a (laughs) thousand dollars. And so he leaves and he arrives in Calgary. I knew where Canada was from my high school years, etc. But you know, and we just kind of Whatever happens. And mm-hmm. he thought in six months, maybe he was coming back. But then they start liking his job. I don't know why. And it was all by letters or by sometimes saying, be in this friend's house. I'm going to phone there. And, and oh, you wow. answer the phone. And we had a friend in common. She had a phone. and And a few months went by and he phoned me and he said, I got my first American Express card, my first credit yeah. card here. Mm-hmm. If I buy you a ticket, would you come to visit? Yeah. And at the time, if you move back to the previous year, this was 1988 when he was when he came to Calgary. The year before, 87, I started what in São Paulo was at the time the first uh, faculty of dance, the first university who was offering a degree in dance.
2: Mm-hmm
3: and everything started in August of 87, and I did the audition in July, and they had, I think was 60 spots, and lots of people auditioned.
2: Mm-hmm. I
3: got one of these spots. Good for you. But it was not only paid, but the time, you know, you had to go, the, the classes were from 7 in the night until 11, so every day, Monday to Friday, and then Saturdays had labs, etc. So I quit all my jobs that I had during the day, got a job in a company called Undeath Mm -hmm. at the time, and they used to sell fertilizer. And I got the job there because they paid more than the previous company that I was the copy girl, copy room girl. So I would go to work from 8 in the morning until 5.30, take the bus, be at school, attend classes until 11.00, Get home about 11, no, midnight, 12.30, depends. If Marco would pick me up, come home early. If not, the bus would take long. Do homework, whatever. Get ready for next day. Pick up the bus and go and do everything. And I was determined. I'm going to get this degree. And so I did that from August of 87 until end of October. And I was going full force. And I must say I was doing very well. And we had classes in ballet, anatomy, jazz, math, and they thought they could incorporate everything in science and whatever. But then when it was the end of October, first week of November, not sure I would have to check my diaries, but anyways, the owner, this was a private faculty, called all 60 of us, and there were some beautiful dancers there in this uh, this big room. And she said, you know, this is not working for me. And I'm having problems getting the approval of the sec- Secretary of Education and blah. So I'm shutting it down. Thank you very much. Go home. Oh, no. Oh I remember to this day, Marco no. went to pick me up that night. I couldn't stop crying. It was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> oh no. My pride was hurt. I felt like I couldn't go back to the dance studios where I was teaching and or my dream was like, shut up. Yeah. I was like, I'll never dance again. Mm-hmm. I'm done with this. I was tired. And so this was November of 87. And I didn't take any dance classes. That was. And then February, Marco leaves to, to come to Calgary. I continued to work my day mm-hmm. job there, making my money. And then came this phone call. And he said, do you want to come for a visit? Mm-hmm. And I said. What do I have to lose?
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> <You know? laughs> so my brother helped me get my passport and Marco bought me the ticket and I went to stay in my parents' house for a month before coming to Calgary. And my father was very supportive, gave me clothes to bring and you know, um my my dad was very supportive and I think they both liked Marco from from day one, and the second time my mother saw him was before he left to come to Calgary in February of that of eighty eight, early February, I organized a lunch in St Paul with some friends of him, his close friends, and my parents came. Mm. and one of my brothers came as well. And that was the second and last time my mother saw my husband. Mm. And again, she liked him. but anyways, so here I have a ticket to come to Calgary, a guy who was, of course, in my radar, radar. Er, I want to see him again. But, er, you know, he had everything to, to be successful, to yeah. make it happen out there. Yeah. And I had a visa that, if I remember correctly, my visa was for three weeks.
2: Oh, because
3: Brazil was losing so much of the younger population at the time. Yeah. And so I didn't think I was going to stay. So came the day to leave, and my mom, being my mom, bless her soul, who I I understand now where she was coming from. She came to the airport to say goodbye. My dad was there. A couple of my sisters were there, but my mom said to me, when you get there, he probably will have another girl. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, oh, thanks, mom. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I want to hear right now didn't speak a word in English. He sent me a couple of letters, written, handwritten letters saying, if you need to use the washroom, this is what you say. If you want to buy a cup of coffee, this is what you say. I didn't speak English. I tried to learn and I learned a little bit of French because I was going to Belgium. (laughs) (laughs) And I was going to be a ballet dancer. So, anyways, so I made the flight to Calgary and so, my flight was Calgary, Toronto, and then Toronto, uh, São Paulo, Toronto, Toronto, Calgary. And Toronto Airport in 1988 is not what you know of Toronto <laughs> Airport today. You had to get all your luggage and then take a little bus and go to the other. Anyways. And there is me sitting <laughs> in this plane like this, right beside a couple and they were talking to me and i'm like <laughs> because i couldn't understand <laughs> and one of the things i remember to this day was the husband is smoke and at the time you could smoke in the, um, the plane and he was smoking during the trip but anyways beside the point just making <laughs> <Common>. <laughs> how time changed yeah. right
2: <laughs>
3: and i was bringing some coffee brazilian coffee mm-hmm. And my father had sent a gift to Marco, and it was—I have to this day—a little revolver in metal, but it was a lighter, because mm-hmm. Marco used to smoke uh, pipes, mm-hmm. and and it was just this little gift and was wrapped. And me never had flown before; I never opened the gift to see what it was, yeah. never did anything. Mm-hmm. It was in my hand luggage. Mm-hmm. My. So I made it to Toronto, right? thinking no problem huh. get to toronto to board my flight to calgary <laughs> they pull me aside and they start saying that i had something in my and i'm like and again it was overnight flight i'm tired i'm scared i just want to see a familiar face yeah. that speaks my language then i was handcuffed and sent <laughs> brought to this little room
1: oh my gosh
3: And then they brought... I think he uh, was a cleaning person or worked in the airport Mm -hmm. and who speaks Spanish. And he said, they are saying, you have a gun.
0: Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) No. They
3: want to open it. So they open and they poured some of the coffee out before they... Uh And I'm going, oh, it's coffee. (laughs) But then they open this pack and they apologize. And and I'm going, oh. (laughs) I had no idea what it was. To Mm -hmm. this day, I remember I was... So terrified because I thought I'm going to be sent to jail. Mm -hmm. I'm never going to see my family again. It's like the things you see on TV.
1: This whole story is like something you'd see on TV.
3: So that was my arrival in Canada. Arrive can. That's one way.
2: (laughs) Yeah, welcome.
3: But then they wrapped all that. That little gift was this big wrapped thing. And they told me that was going to be sent. And I thought, well, they... And then I made my flight to Calgary. And once again, Toronto to Calgary, I'm sitting like, I'm going to breathe really slow because I don't. And I came out of the plane, and there used to be that escalator from arrivals. Yeah. And Mark was in oh, gosh. <laughs> so that's how I entered Calgary.
1: Holy smokes. I'm impressed you made it to Toronto with that present.
3: I'm, I'm too. And I remember when I first told, they were like, I have n- I had never flown before. Yeah. I was just like this, oh okay yeah. I'm doing yeah. you know. And now it's a whole different Yeah, I understand how things work. Yeah. But that was my coming to Holy Calgary. How old were you at the time? I turned twenty one in Calgary. So I was just about turning twenty one when I arrived. I arrived in April, April twenty second, nineteen eighty-eight. And then came the, the same, right? First week went by. My visa was expiring in two weeks. And Marco said to me, well, if you want to stay, <laughs> <laughs> if we get married, because they had renewed his visa for a mm. year. And once again, I said, sure, why not? <laughs>
2: oh, I will well. stay. Yeah.
3: So we walked. From here, from varsity, where close to where you picked me up, because the apartment we were staying was there, we walk all the way to Seventeenth and Thirty Avenue. Oh, there, and there was a AMA or a, uh, where you get marriage license. Yeah. To get a marriage license because we couldn't afford cabs or much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We got. We went to get the marriage license. This was the end of my second week here.
2: Wow. Yes.
3: And, of course, the form is in English, right? And this lady comes, and, and I look at Mark and said, Can we go outside for a minute? He said, Well, just look over my shoulder, and if you don't know the answer, I'll step in your foot once. He had all those plans, as you remember. <laughs> so he filled up this form, and we got the marriage license. So now we got to get married. Money for a wedding. And, again, our friend, friend's wife... Uh, Found this uh, judge, just, justice of peace. Mm-hmm. We could get married in his house in Dalhousie, mm-hmm. and didn't cost anything. They would, mm. but I we had to have an interpreter because of my English. We
0: had to make sure <laughs> you know what's happening.
3: So we found, or she found first, this gentleman who was from Mozambique. I remember very well, living in Calgary for many years. His Portuguese was as good as my English.
1: Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's quite Great. the adventure.
3: And yeah. I never forget it cost $50 to pay him. And it was like,
2: oh my gosh. Yeah.
3: So we were in, this, in the house of this gentleman and his wife. We have no pictures, unfortunately. It was this couple. I don't want to say names of people, but anyways. Mm. And their are four kids and this gentleman from Mozambique. So our friends were the witness for us. And you know and i said yes and we got married we left there and we went to fuse on 16th for brunch mm-hmm. with them with the kids we had rented a fourth temple at the time and we went to banff for our honeymoon one night honeymoon and in canmore we stopped and i phone home collect and my dad answered how are you and
2: how is <laughs> i said oh, oh, oh it's
3: beautiful i had seen the mountains, I was right in Kenmore. Yeah. I, I still, every time I walk, I drive there, I love that place. It's like, and I said, By the way, we got married this morning.
1: <laughs> yeah, by the way. What
3: else is new, though? And he said, Talk to your mom.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay. <Yeah.
3: laughs> Needless to say, that I think she saw it coming, but we didn't talk again until my daughter was born two years later. Uh. And Again, those are the things that I wish I had done different, but mm-hmm. you know, and I stayed and we started our lives in, and again, after that one night honeymoon with Banff Springs Hotel, it's beautiful. We spent the rest of that month eating SpaghettiOs mm-hmm. in the cans. In the cans.
1: Oh. Delicious.
3: If I have to, <laughs> I will. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> You're a good
2: person.
3: <for> <laughs> yeah, and another thing that I have no shame to say now Stealing toilet paper from <laughs> the swimming pool bathroom <laughs> in the apartment complex that mm-hmm. we lived Because yeah. money was that tight yeah. But, you know, we made it And I never went back to Brazil until 1994 When Melanie was already four years old and was the last time I saw my mom alive, and she met my daughter, and, you know, and the rest became Aww. history, so... Wow. And a year after, I should point it out, a year after, 1989, June 1989, we had a, a wedding ceremony in the church, and I did that for my parents, especially yeah. my mom, and it was beautiful. It was, again, very very small. I do have pictures of that. I do have a little video and then we went to Smuggler's Steakhouse, I don't know if it's still open here, for dinner and the priest came, so it was a party. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. That was how we got married. And when we got married the first time, Marco said to me when we were going to Banff, he said, If we make 25 years together, where do you want to go for a honeymoon? Mm-hmm. And I said, Paris. So 2013, May, he took me to Paris for months.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. So awesome.
3: What was it? Like,
0: I guess Marco was going to work Mm -hmm. every day. How did you find your way through (laughs) being in the city? And maybe the total opposite of growing up in a big family. (laughs) Just more on your
3: own. Interesting you ask. (laughs) Some things are so different, Angela. And, well, being on your own. The apartment we, we... had rented the invest was very small, and when I arrived, there was we had no furniture, no nothing. This couple of friends had given Marco a set of uh, single bed, so it was the mattress and the box spring that was in the floor, a small table and one chair, a few things like a pot, a plate, just singles for him. So when I arrived. We put the, mat- the box springs and the mat- mattress side by side. At the time, I was much smaller <laughs> because I was going to go to Belgium. Remember, so I was mm-hmm. in good shape. Yeah. <laughs> so I slept on the box spring, and Marco had the mattress. Mm-hmm. Until this was from May, no, from April when I arrived, until November of 1988, when he got his first bonus mm-hmm. of five thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Oh wow! And we bought the furniture. Mm-hmm. We had a mattress, a bed, you know. And we, he also bought a, but I'm going, diversion from your question a little bit, For this Escort, a used car, but because he had to go to work. Anyways, what I would do during my days here, this couple of friends also gave us a, a small TV. I watched quite a bit of Sesame Street mm-hmm. that helped me learn English quite a bit. I start to walk around, I remember walking from Varst apartments there to the market mall because the post office was by the mall there to mail letters to yeah. parents, etc. And when they getting lost, not knowing how to go back oh. <laughs> and getting out in every door of the mall, trying yeah. to remember where I came from. Anyways, so I did things like that, getting my way through, mm-hmm. until I think maybe a month after, Marco registered me at the YMCA downtown. It used to be by City Hall there, around downtown mm-hmm. area, for English as second language language classes. Mm-hmm. And of course, him being him, said so took me. We walked to the train station by university there, or walk or whatever. And he said, so now you take the train here, you're going to get out on this stop, and you're going to walk there. Have a good day, just like my dad did back in São Paulo. And I was upset at him at that time, like, you know, I got to get the train. So a couple of times I did take the train east instead of west and realizing, oh, oh you know. So I did things like that, and I also did lots of babysitting for this couple of friends who had four kids. And it was amazing because I learned so much English with their kids, mm. not no, not only learning English, but when you were with kids, at least when I was with them, the guards are down, right? Mm-hmm. You, I wasn't so shy about my pronunciation and they yeah. would correct me. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't feel like, oh, they are embarrassing me. They're just being kids. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did quite a bit. And then in the end of no, Yeah, it was by the end of 88, I think, I started getting my documentations ready, not only to apply for the uh, land immigrant uh, visas and Marcos documents as well, but also because I want to go to school or do more things. And I found out this uh, used to be in Calgary, Calgary Immigrant Aid Society. I believe they still exist, but under a different name. Okay. And it's all volunteering. So I took my documents there, and I met a couple of people, um, one particular, at at the time, young lady. And they would do uh, the translations for you, but would take some time. So what she said to me is, well, since you study English, if you translate your own papers and bring to me, I can go through it faster and just do the, you know and they would certify, and those documents were accepted. Once they are certified, they are yeah. accepted. Mm-hmm. So I learned lots of English that way. And uh, after a while, by 1989 or so, they start asking me, could you translate this paper? Could mm-hmm. you do it to volunteer for them? Mm-hmm. And I enjoy that because right. it gave me, you know, uh, something to do and help me learn more English. And I became uh, quite active with them for quite some time, to the point that I did some uh, courthouse interpretation oh, wow. for families here that would speak Portuguese and mm-hmm. needed somebody. And that for me was, again, one of those things that you feel like, oh, I can do more than just mm-hmm. yeah what I, you know, branching myself. And then in nineteen ninety one, after Melanie was born, I worked the census, going mm-hmm. door to door, having dogs let out at you, mm-hmm. having people slam close the the, slam the doors in your face. But it felt good to work, you know, like I'm working, I'm doing I taught some ballet classes at the varsity community yeah. center. So I tried to
2: mm-hmm.
3: to make my way out and about and then Melanie was born and When did I go to university in 97? Yeah, Connor was born in 95. Marco finished his PhD in March. I had applied for University of Calgary. By then I had done the TOEFL three times to get enough points to apply. He did once, and he got <laughs> oh, Ugh,
0: right. tough act. Okay, well, alright. Everyone can see your eyes roll.
2: <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. was,
3: I did three times, and I have no shame to say it because yeah. you know. No, it's you should take pride that you did three times. I, so I should did because it was the poorest thing. I don't know if you 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 are a native yes. Canadian, so yeah. but is the did you have to no, do the tough act? Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> but I did it. So by 97, I applied for the university. He had finished his PhD in March. But also that year, one night he came home, we were having dinner. Connor was not quite two years old yet, and... He just lifted his eyes from the plate and said, Oh, by the way, I quit my job today. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> okay, honey, can we talk after the kids go to bed? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, I wasn't working. It's was mm-hmm. like, I don't want <laughs> to raise my voice in front of the kids.
2: <laughs>
3: I said, so what's the plan here? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we had some savings and we were cautious, cautious with our spendings and everything. And he said, well... I have this idea of starting this company and with two other people that worked in the same company with him. What could I say? I said, sure. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <You know>?
0: How? <laughs> what was the feeling behind that? Sure.
3: <laughs> yeah. The feeling, Angela, was what do we have to lose, but mm-hmm. all we have. And, you know, oh, he no. had, again, the bells and whistles in the sense, he had a profession, he had a career and everything. I was just about starting university. I knew by then that I wasn't going to Belgium because now I have two kids and, you know, my dreams had shift, mm-hmm. but still not in a bad way. I think in certain, certain dreams, you know, when it's not a go anymore, but still, it was a beautiful dream. I haven't made it to Belgium yet. I will never dance, never say never. I don't think I will be a dancer for Mohis Bejar anymore, who passed away. Unfortunately, I won't meet him, but his work is beautiful. But anyways, that dream had, reality comes in. So Mark was the one that could carry the family through. I believe in my experience of, had been married for 29 years, being with him for 31, that Love is a combination of many things, right? When, when I say I love a person, it's not just that feeling that your heart is beating out of your chest.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: It has many, uh, many layers to it. One of the layers of loving for me is the trust. Mm-hmm. And it's also the fact that after a little bit, after what you share with a person that you love you know what that person is about. And I knew from very early on that not only Marco was a very smart man, I still to this day don't know much what he did, but I hear from many people that he was very smart in the area of chemical engineering. But he was also a very smart man. He had some things that he would say, well, if this doesn't work, let's try. The way he think. the way he, he followed the logic of life was very smart. So I trusted him. And that's where I I always felt like, you know, how hard can it be, as he used to say? We are going to give our best. So there was a, a bit of it's our nothing here. Mm-hmm. But if you don't give your all, you don't know if it's going to be our nothing. So, you mm-hmm. know. So that was 1997 and I was about to start university and we had only so much savings to go without a salary and with this risk. And it was interesting, it was tense, it was intense and it was fun at a time, because the whole thing started in the basement of our first house. I don't think you saw yeah. our house in uh, Hawkwood there in the basement and him and I finished it quote coat to the basement We install the carpet. We painted the walls green because green is the color of money, and if mm-hmm. you throw it out there, it <laughs> comes back to you. So that. that was the idea. And we had the desks made with a table or a board and mm-hmm. the two little wooden things. Mm-hmm. And And that's how he started with his partner would come and work with him. And the laundry room was right there. I couldn't do laundry (laughs) when they were working. And when were they not working? (laughs) That was a problem. (laughs) Because they worked 24-7 and more. And so those things become a little bit of a, you know, I need to do clothes. because. uh, And then the books and the papers, we had bookshelves in the bathrooms. We have file cabinets under the beds that were boxes with. So it was, and we had no money. And I remember the first year pretty much the savings going and the savings going. And you start going,
2: oh my gosh. gosh. Oh
3: my gosh. Mm -hmm. But you know, you just, and the kids were young enough that they didn't, and with all fairness, my kids never suffer in that. They continue to do their swimming lessons, their skating lessons, their, Mm -hmm. you know. So it was tough, but we trusted each other and it worked. And to the point that we got the first contract and we started moving, then we moved houses. And I remember when we decided that we needed a new house and Marco said to me, I don't care what you choose as long as I have a basement to work or a room to work. Mm-hmm. Choose whatever you want. I said, oh, 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 oh,
2: oh, oh. <laughs> Challenge accepted. Cool, cool,
3: cool. And by then, I had already been hired by one of his partners to do the banking and the accounting. Right? <laughs> so we go shopping for a house and we had a budget. And the one thing that together, I think we got into a habit that to this day I'm very proud of and I recommend to any young person is... You gotta have a budget and you gotta put some aside where you forget about that. Mm. That money you put it aside and and I talked to my kids and so I had this budget to buy this house and we were looking and I knew where I wanted and I wanted a white picket fence. I wanted some and the house we bought that you know Beautiful. was closed. It was a bit above my budget and I remember telling Mark when he was oh and then talking to the real estate gentleman at the time, the house was closed for six months already. I said, listen, I want to offer this much. And it was like 20000 below what they were asking. Mm-hmm. And he said, "Oh, they're not going to go for that. I said, well, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. And he said, they're going to say no. Said, no, so make the offer. Yeah, they let them say it. no. Wow. Small victories. (laughs) And we moved, and the basement was awesome. So Marco finally had his basement, his office. I had my office there. And by then, you know, the company was getting steam. Then we hired our first engineer, and we hired the other ones, and things started to. And I stayed working from home. And for me, in the beginning was great because I could do everything that a mom has to do during the day. When the kids were at school, I would sit and work and then pick them up from school, do the dinner, do this, put them in bed and work from 9.30, 10 o'clock until 2 or 3 in the morning and wake up the next day and do the same thing again. So, you know, and I knew that by then that this was going somewhere.
0: Wow. The work that you were doing, if I can go back to when you started, you said like accounting, banking type of stuff. I guess not something you've done before, or was it like from your experience in Brazil, there
3: was some background there? No, not a little bit. I think the discipline I got from dance classes mm-hmm. had lots to do with my work. Uh, working as a receptionist and uh, and deaf, you know, paper filing, that came from that. I went to Vancouver three weekends in the beginning and again i don't want to say names of people because and this partner his wife was doing this and then she decided no because they had moved to vancouver to for her to retire whatever so he taught me lots of this and pretty much like another boss i had here very patient person this is this this is that and i did two courses online about Bookkeeping, pretty much, you know. And I learn on the go. Mm-hmm. And something that, again, 2020 is hindsight. I have, I'm still very proud of the chart of accounts that we had <laughs> when somebody else came in. Because that was all from step one mm-hmm. to... From having a chart of accounts that was five accounts to a chart of accounts that was over 500 accounts. And learning how to navigate. And anybody who does bookkeeping knows what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And pretty much learning on the go. And I had the pleasure to work with one of the best brains. You know who he is here. Looking back, if I knew then what I know now. I would have done that, but would have gone after that piece of paper, mm-hmm. because when I <laughs> retired, again, "quote unquote," when I was invited to retire from my job, <laughs> that was the biggest weapon they had to throw against me. You don't know what you're doing, mm-hmm. while I was very keen on what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And so I learned on the go, Angela, and it was nothing to do with what i learned before mm-hmm. and it's very specific for that type of business mm-hmm. as you know
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. did you like feel overwhelmed at any point with like this learning a totally new thing and having the responsibility or Maybe grew gradually with the... I
3: grew gradually. I felt overwhelmed in the end.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: When I thought we were going to have help coming in, I had asked for help. Mm -hmm. Because things like working with different currencies, taxes in different countries that we, you know, we had. And doing the daily same payroll. And Mm -hmm. on top of that, taking care of the daily... management of the office who needs a chair who needs a pen who needs a coke who needs this who needs that booking the trips and all of that it was overwhelming Mm -hmm. so there were parts of it that i want to get out Mm -hmm. in the number side in the dollar sign because i knew that needed somebody with more per degree than i had Mm -hmm. to do that Mm -hmm. i like the other i like the people daily thing. I love to organize the trips. I love to organize. I love to do the licensings because I could talk to clients. I could accommodate and do things. That part of the job I wanted to keep. Mm-hmm. So I grew into it.
0: So yeah, so you started kind of in a bookkeeping role, but it definitely evolved to so much more than that over the years. And So, I, I think so it's many like more like hats. Never let go of the bookkeeping, even as it got more and more complex, but so many more hats. And it was like you were... You know whether you're talking about like reception or office manager or event planner or I don't know HR like I, there's so many names that I can think of of roles that it was just you, um and and on top of being like the owner right of the company. So as that evolved, did did you when you started the company think of it as Marcos' company and you were supporting him, or did you think of as like a, you're both your company?
3: Did, did that change with time love has many layers as mm-hmm. I said before when we started I felt that I was part of it and and I still think I was part of it I thought that as we grew as the company grew together we were all growing together on our roles and we were all gonna be seen on the spots and in the positions we had. I don't know if you remember in many meetings, my beloved husband would say, "Oh, the title can be bottle washer or uh, book uh, bookshelf organizer," because he would say the titles and the letters in the card didn't matter. When things turn and the new administration came in, they put so much emphasis on that. I was the only one, if you remember, who had no letters after my name. And whatever I had achieved, I was, the title was office manager, but as you said, I had so many roles, even the office manager title was stripped out from me. And none of the partners to whom I made their lives easier because we never hired all the people mm-hmm. to do all the things that I did. So, to the company advantage, it was a very big savings that allowed that money to be applied in other things. So, when things change, my biggest heartbreaking was to see that nobody, including my husband, didn't stand up to say a word in my defense. And unfortunately, that was the first time in my love life with Marco that we had some very serious uh, disagreements because he was taken he drank the kool-aid of the boys club it has influence and it has damaged some of the friendships i had as i'm telling you i still have enormous admiration and for a few of them i love those people their families and and i will never say anything bad about their capabilities as professionals they are some of the best minds i ever met and i met through Marco, through the trips we did, I met some brilliant minds. But I felt absolutely stripped and abandoned. And, you know, it was a horrible time in my life. Mm-hmm. And then came the sale of the company. I was the little woman that could have had a seat in the Board of Directions by reason, by logical reason, I was then one of the largest shareholders.
2: Yeah.
3: Uh, I was given less than a month to know about the sale of the company, to Mm -hmm. read this document that's huge. The document was sent to me via normal mail, arrived 14 days after I heard, and I was expected to sign everything. Oh, you don't need to read. Here are the 17 pages of paper that you need to sign. Trust us. don't need to know the details and that's the same right 2020 if i knew then if what i know now but i was so already mistrusting people that Mm -hmm. i took as friends i took that at that time in my life would at least look after me and it was one of the worst experiences in my life and I don't wish that in anybody. I'm very grateful that the company sold. I'm extremely happy that all the younglings, all the people that work with us by choice, kept their jobs. Mm -hmm. Did I acquire financially freedom and independence? I did somewhat. Uh, Yeah, and I say somewhat because I didn't know what the options were. I'm glad the company sold when it did because then COVID came and I guess if we had stayed maybe things would have whatever it's done. But the way it was done and the thing is nowadays we were talking about is so many things are blamed on COVID. Oh can't find this because of COVID. This Mm -hmm. At the time when this always going on, the excuse is, that's how business is done. Oh, you mm-hmm. don't know business. You yeah. don't have the education. You won't understand. Mm-hmm. I won't waste time explaining to you because you don't need to know it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is the part that I find make make human beings so small. Yeah. And so I try, and I'm saying this with a very big grain of salt. I'm trying very hard to be a good person, to go back to what I think was the best version of me Mm -hmm. and not hold any bad feelings against anybody, not hold any bad. I I believe in energy. I don't want to have any bad energy around me.
2: Please join us next week for part two of Malu Satiro.